VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to the Week 12 Recap Podcast. In just a few moments, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Rotor World team that covered the games for us here uh, this Sunday. We're going to be diving into all the context that you need for your fantasy rosters. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Let's get to the games. The Jets defeated the Bears 31-10, to and Lawrence Jackson, I'm assuming that the Jets are probably pretty happy with their decision to go with Mike White, at quarterback here. I think everybody was happy from the staff, the players, to the fans. You could hear the fans screaming his name in the stadium and then abruptly showing a visual of Zach Wilson uh, on the TV, which was kind of messed up. But anyway, Mike White in the offense, albeit versus the Bears team who didn't have their quarterback, right? Still, it was nice to see some the offense for the Jets have some life. Nice to, nice to see these pass catchers relevant again. Yeah, I, I mean, Garrett Wilson, I'd say, you know, relevant plus. Five for, for 95 yards, two touchdowns on eight targets. Elijah Moore, two for 64 and a touchdown. He only had two targets, so, you know, maybe that was a bit fluky. But tell me about uh, Wilson and Moore here. Yeah, um, yeah. so Garrett, uh, Mike White was looking for Garrett Wilson early and often, short, intermediate, and deep passing game um, on his 54-yard touchdown. Uh, I, I would say Mike White threw it about 20, 30 air yards. Garrett Wilson made a quick juke move and housed it to the end zone, but uh, it looked he looked revived. Garrett Wilson looked like he could be a flex option every single week with Mike White at quarterback. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty exciting. Um, let's talk Michael Carter, who got hurt in this game, right? Yeah, yeah, got hurt. Started the game, obviously. Um, but what was interesting is in in. Well, obviously, gonna we we gonna talk about Zonovan Knight. Um, Zonovan Knight was first off a surprise active for this game with James Robinson being inactive. Um, Michael Carter got the start, but Zonovan Knight was in the game early. He was getting touches early. Like his success didn't come strictly off of Michael Carter's injury. They were rotating in and out earlier in that game then once Michael Carter went down then it was the Bam Night show and he took advantage of the opportunity Ty Johnson saw some opportunity he scored on the 32 yard run um which he probably wouldn't have been in the rotation had Michael Carter not got hurt but uh uh Bam Knight looking like a guy that we gonna probably be picking up on waivers this week because we don't know the severity of uh Michael Carter's ankle sprain, but it is a high ankle sprain. So we got to look out for that. Yeah, I think that's a really important note that if they were already kind of favoring him before Michael Carter got hurt, then, you know, all the more likely to lean on him with Carter out. So that's uh, kind of 
top of the waiver wire priority list at the moment, maybe. Um, Before we move over to the Bears side, let me just say Mike White threw for 315 yards and three touchdowns here. 149.3 quarterback rating. I know quarterback rating is not really like our top stat, but he had a really good game. I mean, it's good when you're talking about the Jets here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, On the other side, you know, Mike White was going against a very soft Bears defense. The Bears offense going against this very difficult Jets secondary and Jets defense. Uh, Trevor Simeon here starting 14 completions out of 25 attempts, 179 yards, one touchdown, one interception. So not a ton through the air for the Bears. But tell me about their pass catching weapons who were led by Chase Claypool in this game. Yeah, so unfortunately, because you're already without Justin Fields and you were almost down to Nathan Peterman at quarterback. Uh, but Trevor Simeon was able to play. Um, Darnell Mooney left the game with an ankle injury, so they were down another weapon. Chase Claypool did make one good catch on the 31-yard deep ball over Sauce Gardner. Other than that, there wasn't much going on in the Bears passing game. Chase Claypool ended up leaving the game later with an injury as well. He went up high for a pass. That was that was a that was too high. He ended up getting hurt. So the Bears was left with nothing. Um, Cole Komet, he put up a dud there, and he was coming on with Justin Fields as of late. Uh, but nothing was going on in this uh, offense besides David Montgomery, who fought for every single one of those hundred and thirteen total yards that he had. He was the Bears' offense, and it was no help at all in any other way, shape, or form. David Montgomery was still able to produce a nice fantasy day, though. Yeah, David Montgomery, 14 carries, 79 yards, did not score in this game, but also had three receptions and 34 yards on four targets. Yeah, I mean, kind of living up to what you thought he would be in this game, which is very much a volume-based play. He got the volume. Anything else to note on this game? Yeah, nothing, nothing much other than uh, Darrington Evans uh, saw the backup running back role as opposed to Trishan Ebner. I don't know if Ebner was hurt or not. I didn't see him uh, inactive, but uh, Evans was active, and he, he ran behind uh, Montgomery. But other than that, nothing out of the Bears' offense. They had one good drive in the, er- in the early part of the second quarter. Great drive, actually. Thought the Jets' defense might be in trouble, but after that, the Jets defense dialed in and it was business as usual for them. But yeah, man, it's the Mike White show now. All right. I mean, if, they, if he's supporting Garrett Wilson, I think we'll be into it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> All right, Lawrence Jackson, thanks. All right. The Bengals defeated the Titans 20-16. to Patrick Darty, this is a game where Traylon Burks kind of came to life here and scored a touchdown uh, that goes down as an other touchdown. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to depend on what the, the scoring is in your league, like how your service – because your services do, I feel like, all kinds of different stuff with this. And I don't think I got any points for this in the league where I was forced to start Burks. Uh, man, yeah, if you're a big dog manager, you did not want to see this play. You know, every week I feel like we're like, why don't the Titans just throw Derrick Henry some screens? And they threw him a screen, and he was scoring a 75-yard touchdown, except for he got the ball knocked out at the goal line. And then that's where Traylon Burks fell in the end zone. So it counted really is not as a touchdown for anybody. So I think a lot of people probably didn't get the Burks points. Tannehill managers didn't get the points and big dog starters did not get the points. And just kind of a classic infinite case of fantasy sadness. 
Now, is it possible that the big dog was doing a bit because that goes down as a 69-yard reception? I know. It did go down as a 69-yard reception, a very, very nice play by our <laughs> touchdown god, Derrick Henry, who also was trolling because he had his third straight like rough statistical day on the ground. He's now averaged 3.1 yards per carry or fewer in three straight starts, kind of doing the opposite of what he normally does. You know, where he like starts just battering defenses down the stretch. He was doing that for a lot of the first half. Maybe now not wearing down, I'm sure, is strong, but ha- having some heavy legs at the, the two thirds point of the season or whatever you call this. 17 carries for 38 yards, not ideal. Although the fact that he did rip off this long run that, you know, would have been a touchdown if the ball didn't get ripped out uh, and three receptions for 69 yards, like that, you know, it seems like. Yeah. And. The defense still just lives like, in terror of him. And I, yeah. I'm sure it's one reason why Ryan Tannehill I – mean, Ryan Tannehill's had a pretty productive three-game stretch since returning. I mean, I was about to, I was about to credit like Ryan Tannehill's success with that. I mean, Derrick Henry's always there. But Ryan Tannehill has been pretty good since coming back. And I'm sure he's thanking his lucky stars for the emergence of Traylon Burks. Even like Traylon Burks seems to be having an effect on everyone in the Titans' passing game because – Nick Westbrook, Akinye suddenly posting better numbers. Robert Woods is not. But just to have someone out there like actually commanding attention, so like actually providing a first read for Ryan Tannehill, but then providing someone that defense is at to key in on, maybe creating space from some of the ancillary pieces in this pack. Because even Austin Hooper has been more consistently involved, not like from a way that's productive in fantasy, but he's suddenly catching three to four passes every week. Everyone kind of but Robert Woods is upping their floor. And Robert Woods, this might be washed. Yeah, it's it's looking that way. Burks had six targets here, which was not much more. They tied Nick Westbrook-Akine. It tied Robert Woods. But he was far more productive, especially than Woods. He had four receptions for 70 yards. Uh, Ryan Tannehill did not throw for touchdown, thanks to Derrick Henry. Um, <laughs> but so, so he didn't score a touchdown, but had a nice, long 51-yard reception. And I got it, you know, how much credit should we give Mike Vrabel here for the coaching performance to get Burks from, you know, this asthmatic who can't stay on the field <laughs> in the summer to, to now he's literally chasing down the play because because Henry was running ahead of him. He continues running towards the end zone for really no reason other than just hustle. <laughs> yeah. just the hustle's been just kind of conditioned into him and that hustle pays off. He scores the touchdown. Yeah, he took his inhaler today like I did. Again, I this is not a bit. I do have asthma, and I take a preventative inhaler every day, so I feel like I can make an asthma joke about Traylon Burks. And, yeah, 50-yard catches back-to-back weeks, and the man is getting down the field, whether it's as a receiver or whether it's just as, as a hustle merchant, the, the, the best thing you can be for Mike Vrabel. It's true. On the Bengals' side here, T. Higgins goes off with Jamar Chase, uh, kind of last – not exactly last minute, but we thought he was going to play. Uh, and then on Saturday comes out, he's not going to play. Uh, still working through that hip injury. So Higgins, the target hog. Uh, although he only had nine targets, which tied Hayden Hurst. So it wasn't like far, far out in front. Uh, but does tie for the team lead in targets and goes seven for 114 with the touchdown. He's finally, better late than never, was cashing in his alpha opportunity. You know, the first two or three weeks, the Jamar Chase, the sideline, we weren't really getting anything that much different than T. Higgins. And honestly, we were getting kind of worse stat lines as just the whole passing attack look, looked shot unsurprisingly worse off without Jamar Chase. Now they've had back-to-back really soft matchups in the Steelers and Titans, the teams that just bleed passing yardage. So you can kind of credit the matchups, but 
what do you do if you're a good player? You take advantage of the good matchup, and he's had the good matchup at 100-plus yards each of the past two weeks. He's been that fill-in number one guy that we knew he could be. Uh, but, yeah, I, I still think – I think we've talked about this last week where – he, he, no one's, he didn't make anyone forget Jamar Chase. They're not interchangeable. T. Higgins is a very, very above average NFL receiver, but he's still not anywhere near Jamar Chase's level. Uh, Jamar Chase should be back, we think, for week 13 against the Chiefs. But that should also be the kind of game where both of them can get home. I mean, the over-under is what's going to be 52, 53, maybe 54. That should be a really, really explosive game. And yeah, T. Higgins can keep cooking. T. Higgins did his job. It was better late than never, but he did his job while Jamar Chase was sidelined. Anything else to note in this passing game? Hayden Hurst had six for 57 on nine targets. Uh, and then there's like n- really nothing going on outside of the backfield. No, and it, Tyler Boyd just kind of had a disappointing – talk about someone like Tyler Boyd, you know, we were expecting maybe bigger stat lines while Jamar Chase was out for obvious reasons. He was actually been posting worse box scores while Jamar Chase is out and maybe again is highlighting how the overall ceiling is much lower for this offense. When Chase is out, the floor comes down a bit. It is surprising that without like Jamar Chase's deep threat, you know, there hasn't been like more like underneath compiling. It just seemed like it would have made a lot of sense for Tyler Boyd. You're one of the most established slot men in the entire league. You just would have thought the target totals would be higher. Definitely would have thought we would have seen far more like five, six, seven catch games while Chase is out but maybe he's just at the stage of his career where he's the kind of guy where he needs chase out there clearing space. He needs to be, you know, essentially getting like uncontested short catches. And yeah, he, he did not, did not produce during his close up as the number two. Mm. The backfield here, we did not have Joe Mixon. So Jamaje P Ryan led the way with 17 rushes for 58 yards and a touchdown. Trivion Williams mixed in for two carries uh, had 18 yards on those. P. Ryan also had four catches for 35 yards on seven targets. Third uh, receiver in terms of targets here. So he had a fair amount uh, of receiving work. And then Trevion Williams saw one target going one for 24. Uh, Thoughts on the backfield? Well, thoughts on the backfield. I think there are probably some people out there in like 14 team leagues or maybe some of the deeper dynasty leagues, like the kind we're in, who were throwing some Chris Evans Hail Marys because he was Mm -hmm. back. And he was on the field early in the game. And he got called for offensive pass interference. What? He, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and he, uh, he was, I can't remember. He was like blocking down the field or something. He was doing something dumb. <laughs> yeah. And then he ended up uh, not getting a touch the yeah. rest of the uh, So not the rest of the game. He didn't get a touch then. He did not get a touch. Trayvon Williams only got two touches. So yeah, it was some IGP Reiner bust. I mean, we think Joe Mixon should be back from his concussion in week 13 against the Chiefs. All right, let's move to the Chargers who defeated the Cardinals 25-24. to 24. Kind of a, a comeback win here for the Chargers. Uh, what did you see out of this passing offense? Uh, the analytics worked. Finally, they worked for Brandon Staley. He went for two they they- at the very end. They converted. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I don't know if you knew it. So, yeah, they tied the I game didn't. with 15 seconds left. We're down 24-23, and then he ran out the dreaded John Harbaugh formation of going for two and winning the game which, of course, just never, ever, ever, ever works until it does. Gerald Everett now, was wide open. We know that, that Brandon Staley is getting a little bit um, – little cold feet with the analytics. Yes. Do you think it helped that earlier in the day Doug Peterson did this exact same move and it works? So there was only – so he was going to be able to defend it from a decision. Well, it worked for Doug, so, I, you know. And they're circling the <laughs> analytics wagons. Yeah, strength and numbers. There have been – the opposite of strength and numbers. The numbers were costing them. 
we were making fun of them and yelling at them. But now, yeah, the numbers they're back. And as you kind of alluded to, it'd be it'd be a, a stretch to say the Chargers' passing attack was back. Yet another game where Justin Herbert averaged under six yards per attempt. But it was the first time since week two he had three passing touchdowns in a game. He's found Keenan Allen for at least five catches and around 50 yards each of the past two weeks. Nothing revolutionary, but again, some of the defense has to account for, someone that's going to create space for Josh Palmer and DeAndre Carter. Josh Carter actually led the Chargers receiver core with 10 targets. Austin Eckler led the team with 15 targets, a crazy number that wasn't even a season high. But DeAndre Carter led the receiver core with 10 targets. He scored a 33-yard touchdown where he went in motion for the play and just kind of got lost down the left sideline. And Justin Herbert discovered him. He had to come back to the ball. It was a good catch. Um, but I mean, things seem to be moving slowly, more functionally. I, mean, I guess Herbert's ribs are back. Keenan Allen's back. Hopefully Mike Williams is finally back for week 13, where they have an absolute smash spot in the Raiders. I mean, the protection remains a huge issue. Right tackle Trey Pipkins barely made it into the game before he tweaked his knee injury. So the protection is horrible. doesn't seem like the short passing attack is going anywhere. But hopefully we're just getting the short passing attack with much better weapons down the stretch. Yeah, uh, I feel like, yeah, anytime you, your running back has 15 targets, uh, the passing game's not really firing on all He said 12 targets four of the past six weeks, Austin. Wow. Eckler. That's, yeah, not ideal. I mean, it is for fantasy, but probably yeah. in life. It really is for fantasy. 11 receptions, uh, which led the team 60 yards, just second on the team. Uh, it does get in the end zone. Uh, and then he had five carries for 20 yards. I mean, to be honest, like, why even bother giving him carries? Just throw to him from a PPR perspective. This is like, this is better. And well, and just another game where you know, they didn't even bother with the run. I mean, you really, like, truly, we like we do this for a living where all we do is read about fantasy. All we do is read news. All we do is read snap counts, you know, usage patterns, and we're, we're seriously just wearing a blindfold when trying to predict who the number two Chargers running back is going to be. Joshua Kelly was back, but he didn't play. Uh, Sony Michelle was a healthy scratch. Joshua Kelly did play in like two two carries. Isaiah Spiller had like two carries. So the running game is just non-existent for the Chargers. Yeah. And very little reason to expect it to suddenly become existent down the stretch, and especially since they have so little incentive. You know, they're playing in a dome. Like they're not going to be like, well, we got to for the prepare for the weather, you know, like, well, whatever. We got to go somewhere cold in the wild card round. We're screwed anyway. So they're not going to bother establishing a run game for, for various reasons. On the other side of this, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is always going to establish a run game. James Conner came through with uh, 4.8 yards per carry, 25 rushes, 120 yards. Uh, did lose a fumble, though. He did, and he was getting gang tackled. It was in the first quarter, one of those plays where it's, it's kind of hard to blame. Like, it was a nice run, and all of a sudden, it was like he was, like, getting jumped, like, in an alley. There were just, like, four guys. Around. While he was still standing, he was still sort of completely upright, and then four tacklers converged on him, and, yeah, the ball was knocked out. And hmm. there wasn't a ton he could do about it, but, man, the Chargers' run defense – I had to double-check this stat like two or three times. This was somehow James Conner's first 100-yard game rushing as a Cardinal. And it was his first what? since – two. Th- yeah, yeah. It was his first at all since 2019, since week wow. 8, 2019. He had 100 yards on the ground. Like we knew he had gotten inefficient. We knew that he had was not explosive. 
But yeah, it had been over three years since he had a 100-yard day on the ground. Um, and if someone's going to do it, it's the Chargers' run defense, and they did it. And seriously, he wow. He also had 20 yards uh, receiving, three receptions. Uh, what were your thoughts on Kyler Murray here, who did play, but only threw for 191 yards, threw for two touchdowns, one interception, supports an okay game from DeAndre Hopkins. Marquise Brown was back in this game, but I don't know. It doesn't seem that exciting from from Kyler Murray, who I, I'll add did, or I'll note did add seven rushes for 56 yards and a touchdown. So at least he was running. Yeah, it's hard. It's just, I think you laid it out well. It's really hard to know what to make of Kyler right now. And you know, Rondale Moore's out. And Greg Dorch is out. Zach Ertz is out. So it's like the whole kind of middle of the field game has just been gutted. But like the production he did have was like middle of the field stuff where DeAndre Hopkins was having to be like Superman. He had a 33-yard touchdown on a free play where he spun out of a tackle, and then it was the total yards after the catch job for the score. And another completion to DeAndre Hopkins remakes, like one of the best catches of his career. He's falling backwards. He's laid out. He makes a one-handed catch, kind of like the Odell Beckham catch. Not as impressive. It wasn't at the sideline. wasn't as big of a play. But, like, yeah, if, if not for those two splash plays from DeAndre Hopkins, like the box score would be looking really bad. And didn't get anything revved up down the field with Marquise Brown, who, as we know, they had kind of turned into an underneath guy even before Marquise Brown's injury. He was active for the first time since week six. Marquise Brown did out-target DeAndre Hopkins. So, like, the target share came way down for DeAndre Hopkins, only targeted on six of 29 dropbacks for Kyler Murray, or six of 29 attempts, excuse me. Um, yeah, it's just very hard to, like, say. He looked healthy, I'll say that, with his hamstring. So, I mean, that's good, but yeah, it doesn't seem like the second gear is, is walking through the door for this offense. On Hopkins, too, didn't he have a – he had a one-handed catch, right, that saved an interception as well. Oh, was it saving a pick? I don't even remember. I, I told, it was kind of kind of fuzzy on the second half of this game, but uh, <laughs> it was a really, really good catch where he was falling backwards and laying out. I didn't really realize it was like a prevented an interception. It, like, fully prevented an, interse- an interception, yeah. That, he, like, that's extra he kind of good. stabbed it with one hand. That's extra yeah. good. Extra good. Um, that's what. That's what. Frankly, Kyler would have been screaming at him if he didn't do that. Like so I was trying, I was testing you to see if you do that, and thankfully you did. Um, yeah, Hopkins is uh, Hopkins. We thought maybe was falling off last year, and now he's like literally a, a one man band. And is this? I know. Is this? It's weird. Is like, is this Cliff? Is this Kyler? I mean, DeAndre was on the injury report for a lot of twenty twenty one. He has been totally healthy, basically off the injury report since coming back in week seven. But, yeah, I it, it's hard to describe a lot of the patterns we're seeing in Arizona over the past two to three seasons. Like, how everyone they, they get, they seem like they turn into, like, a target hog type. And we got a lot of down-the-field production, I guess, from Kyler and DeAndre in 2020, but not since. No. All right, Patrick Darty, appreciate it. My pleasure as always. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Download the Roto-World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoring players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. The Panthers defeated the Broncos 23-10. to And Kyle Dvorak, there's been many lows in this Denver Broncos season, but Nathaniel Hackett losing to a Steve Wilkes-led team, Russell Wilson losing to Sam Darnold and his return to the Panthers. I mean, this is about as low as it gets. That's so funny. I, I assume you didn't read my blur, but that's basically what I said. That was the very opening line. It was like, there have been plenty of chances to be embarrassed by this Broncos team, but this has to take the cake. I truly think, I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe Sam Darnold goes on some sort of tear for the final few games, and we say yeah. like, oh, this was a team to be feared. But being realistic... This is not a good team that even the more bottom feeder type of rosters like the Broncos should be able to beat. But the Broncos aren't just your run of the mill bad team that should spring up for some good games and lose to some bad teams. I mean, they were I was arguing with Rivers McCown in our Slack chat that I think they're worse than the Texans. They are playing some of the most atrocious football like Russell Wilson in this game. None of the receivers, I assume, were getting open. It's always hard to tell in the broadcast because you're seeing the, the view of the backfield of the pocket and not the receivers. But it was pretty clear that none of his receivers were getting open. And the very few times that they did get open, it looked like Wilson just had no chance of completing like routine, medium, and deep passes. Nothing too incredible was needed to complete these. And he just couldn't get the job done. I mean, the funniest, saddest, uh, you know, funniest, saddest performance from or like individual spot from this game was like a nine play two minute uh goal line trip not drive just a trip to the goal line in which they you know have no chance they have an out of bounds receiver which nullifies a touchdown an underthrow by russell wilson to kendall hinton doesn't end up being a touchdown back and forth back and forth between penalties reviving the drive and they finally score with you know to brandon johnson they had to be playing fast they had to be moving and said they are on on the precipice of scoring so many times and just by sheer dumb luck of a roughing the passer negating a fourth down and completion they finally get there eventually but i mean for all of that like it is like a sisyphean task to this team to not mess up the closest you can get to scoring they're so bad it was that the the drive or the the goal line series where greg dulcich scored a touchdown and then it was called back yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I believe it was. I believe it was Dulcich who was out of bounds. Uh, he gets, you know, you have to like reestablish yourself or whatever the rule is going out of bounds, and that's what called it off. Is he stepped out of bounds, and then I assume he was the next one to you know touch the ball or whatever. Also on that well, on that series, there was a Russell Wilson has Cortland Sutton open in the back of the end zone, throws it to him, very poorly underthrown, but it was catchable. It hit Sutton's hands and just everyone competing to be the worst player on the field for the Broncos at any given time. Uh, you know, Dwayne Soft's hands goes past him. 
Russell Wilson has a strong case, I feel like, in that regard. 4.1 yards per attempt. I mean, that's crazy, crazy inefficient. 142 passing yards on 35 attempts. Gets that one touchdown to Brandon Johnson, making sure it's not useful for fantasy whatsoever. Thanks for that, Russell. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just to abs- I think we can. I think we can call it on the. I mean, <laughs> would love, love, would love for the Broncos to call it on this season. Um, but we oh, still yeah. have still have some more Broncos games to watch. Latavius Murray, though, I feel like you know this is semi impressive, especially in the context of this offense. Thirteen rushes for ninety-two yards. Doesn't score, but seven point one yards per carry. Still has a little bit of burst. Yeah, he had a nice uh, 52, I believe it was 52-yard run, where it wasn't wide open. He had to make at least one or two defenders miss. Uh, It's just like, I really just can't muster the sort of life that doesn't exist in me anymore for this team to say, like, (laughs) you know, he has to get 100% of the touches and break a 50-yard run just to cement what I assume was like an 11-point fantasy day. Like, this team is just, like, imagine, like, a player, I think I said this on, like, the pod last week, but think about how you know disappointed we are every week Damian Pierce just can't overcome his terrible offense and I keep relating this team to the Texans now think about Damian Pierce being like 32 years old and like a practice squad level player and that's what Latavius Murray is so 100% of the touches or something close to that you know he is clearly clearly the lead back is useful you know I have some zero RB teams that are starting some pretty suspect options they'll certainly be in the mix but it's just Playing for this team, it, it doesn't really matter. I guess you have to get 100% of the touches because I've started plenty of you know bad zero RB type of backs. He goes out and gets clearly the bulk of the work as the RB1. Sure, that is useful in a fantasy context, but it is such a ceiling capping venture to just be a member of the Denver Broncos. It sure is. Let's move to the Carolina Panthers side of this. Uh, I will say, I mean, it's not like Sam Darnold was much, much better here. Uh, in terms I, I kind of feel like he was better. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was more efficient. He had 164 yeah, exactly. yards uh, to Wilson's 142, but I, that came on 19 attempts, only throws for one passing touchdown. But yeah, obviously a lot more efficient. And he supported a day for DJ Moore, four catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. This is uh, kind of, I mean, there was like this period where I was really kind of disgusted with myself that I was dreaming of Sam Darnold coming back. And, and DJ Moore actually having some fantasy relevant uh, box scores, but here we are. It, it actually, it actually happened, Kyle. I feel like we'll definitely like. I think I have said at one point, you know, throughout the season, for every quarterback this team has, DJ Moore's in a lull, but they're getting a new quarterback. Maybe this is what he needs, dude. And maybe it is what he needs. But I've also seen Sam Darnold play, and I, I'm not sure I can really project him to be as efficient as he was today. The team was so clearly terrified of letting him throw the football. They run 46 times and throw the ball 19 times in a game in which their opponent scores more than 10 points, seven of which come with a few minutes left, uh, close enough to garbage time that I'll just call it garbage time. I mean, an entire Denver game is just garbage time, but I'll say for the sake of this argument that their last touchdown was garbage time. Unless that's the opponent they play every single week, they're going to have to throw more. They're going to be less... It will be less easy to be as efficient when they are throwing. I This game felt good. He led the team in targets at six. Lots of air yards behind those targets. He had like a long of 50-something. So it was clear that when they wanted to move the chains, it was DJ Moore. And just generally, when they wanted to throw, it was DJ Moore. That's like what I would have said for some of the Baker Mayfield days. But I, I wouldn't get too out over my skis for him dominating when I still have a very 
low floor expectation of this team. Like the bottom could fall out at any moment. It didn't this week, but who knows? Yeah, for sure. And the other thing about this team is if they can afford to run the ball, they will run the ball as much as they can get away with. Love it. They had 24 carries here for Deontay Foreman, 17 carries for Chuba Hubbard. Uh, LaVisca Chenault got a carry. Sean Chandler, don't know who that is, but he got a carry. And Sam Darnold rushed three times as well. So just a ton of carries here. Uh, did Foreman deal with an injury in this game? Foreman, I swear he dealt with multiple injuries. He had a long run early in the game in which he gets a, a nice, you know, chunky run, then leaves for Chubba Hubbard to clearly like he was getting checked out by trainers or whatever. Chubba Hubbard plays like the whole rest of the drive. Foreman comes back in later. Then he went out, I believe, sometime in the second half. And uh, like clearly he was in some pain, but I think he just got like a, one of the heat pads or something on his back was probably just dealing with like, a back spasm or something comes back in. And the fact that he played through both of them and was good playing through both of them. He didn't clearly like limp out for a final drive or whatever. They're probably like mine or just in-game issues. So I'm not really concerned. And he, he continues to look really good. Yeah. Uh, 113 yards for him, 65 for Hubbard. Uh, so pretty productive running game here. All right, let's move to the Raiders who defeated the Seahawks 40 to 34 in overtime. Uh, I will note Patrick Darty tweeted out that Josh Jacobs, who finished with a three, 303 yards from scrimmage for Josh Jacobs, this is only the 11th time in NFL history someone has cleared 300. It is just the sixth time this century that a player has cleared 300 yards. Josh Jacobs winning this game with a long run in overtime. Josh Jacobs isn't, Kyle. Josh Jacobs has been nuking. I mean, it has been all year, but even uh, even more recently, this game was, I mean, like his stats and the way he played were like collegiate numbers. Like this is the type of stuff you see when Alabama rolls like, I don't know, Vanderbilt or something, when they just mess up Vanderbilt. <laughs> you, get to ride, you get to ride him as opposed to the game managing quarterback because he was just consistently breaking off long runs, obviously highlighted by the 86 yarder to close the game. It was just really like, almost easy for him in a way that compliments him and that he just hit the hole hard and then immediately like turned on a second gear of speed that like you don't see from him as often. You don't think of him as like the pure home run hitter, but he had the pure home running hitting speed on this one. Just chunking long games throughout and something that uh, is even, I guess this probably won't get like really talked about much because it didn't end up mattering, but he got rolled up right before the end of regulation on a near fumble. His forward progress was called down, which was like a bit of a suspect call, honestly. And he gets rolled up and I, I believe he was listed as questionable with a calf injury and immediately is back in for like regulation. It's just like, there, I, like it is the dumbest thought, but there was just something so special about the way he's playing this game that even if he was injured, he was going to come back in and then absolutely lights out for the final spot. So, and the receiving too. That's that's another thing that, like, of course, the eighty-six yard run is going to be the talk of the town. But just like I believe it was last week, not a ton of targets, but extremely obviously efficient. That will regress, but it is nice to see him be able to leak out of the backfield, beat safeties, beat linebackers. So he he did it all. He's been doing it all season. And uh, like uh, he he's totally already cemented himself as a league winner. Frankly, he kind of have a bit of a slump to close the playoffs or whatever. Maybe that'll leave a sour taste in your mouth. But he truly has kind of cemented himself as you you kind of need him to win. Yeah, I mean he won you your league like this today. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you're, I mean this is this is crazy. Um, obviously, yeah, he needs to keep rolling the playoffs. But the guys the guys done any, more than you could ask for. We get the Chargers next week too, coming off of th- oh 33 God. carries. I know it's going to be oh incredible. God. I don't have a ton of Jacobs across my fantasy teams, so uh, I am dreading that. But at least it makes for great television. He's just playing it like he's playing like a top five level running back. He sure is. Yeah, 33 carries, 229 yards. 
two touchdowns, and then six receptions for 74 yards on seven targets. Just wild stuff. Let's talk Devontae Adams, uh, who had 11 targets. He went seven for 74. I saw him make some nice catches yeah. in this game, um, but not the not the biggest day for him. Yeah, the two touchdowns that Derek Carr threw weren't like – I wouldn't say they were like, oh, you know, we, we are not trying to throw it to Devontae Adams because they were just frankly weird plays where one of them is a flea flicker where the pressure almost gets to him and both a safety and a corner, at least it looked like from the from the angle, both a safety and a corner are just draped over Devontae Adams. Matt Collins, the, you know, the flea flicker definitely helps give him some separation. It's just wide open and he gets to walk it into the end zone. Then the other one was uh, like Amir Abdul leaks out of the backfield and gets, uh, you know, basically just gets in the end zone for free. The final one to Foster Moreau was actually a good, well-designed play for Moreau. But at least two of them were sort of trick plays in which I think Devontae Adams doesn't have to be like the obvious target on them. One of them, I can confirm with my eyes, the fact that he drew two players completely away from the touchdown score was the whole point of the player, at least certainly helped. So, mm. you know, he still leads the team in in targets, and it's not like a close race by any means. Seven for him, and then Josh Jacobs, who's not operating anywhere near the depth of field, you know, ties Foster Moreau for seven, uh, you know, seven at uh, number two on the team. So leads the team tied with Josh Jacobs in yards, leads the team outright in catches, leads the team outright in targets. Uh, you know, it's not the greatest fantasy day, sure, but I have no concerns that he's not elite Devontae. Yeah. Matt Collins had four for 63 and a touchdown on five targets. Frost Moreau, uh, three for 33 and a touchdown on his seven targets. Let's move to the Seahawks side of this. Uh, Kenneth Walker, bit of a quiet day in terms of the rushing production, um, in terms of yardage production, I should say. 14 rushes for 26 yards. He also was not particularly uh, productive at putting up yards through the passing game. He only had one target. One for thirteen, but touchdowns, touchdowns, touchdowns. He got two of two of those uh, as a rusher, so saves his fantasy day that way. Yeah, both came in the red zone, not quite goal line. I think they're like thirteen and fourteen yard scores or twelve and fourteen yard scores. We didn't see like the home runs in this game, but like on any given sample size of fourteen carries, even for an elite runner like Kenneth Walker, you will hit some dry spells. And when you can only get fourteen carries because you end up losing this game. It's understandable. He also has a 13-yard loss on his ledger from this game, which he gets tossed in the backfield. You know, so you know, defender comes through, tosses him backwards, and he reestablishes forward momentum, setting himself up for an even worse run. Mm. It wouldn't have made like it doesn't, you know, materially affect his day, but it does make the yards per carry look pretty bad, as it would have just looked kind of bad before that play. So I think the more concerning thing is not that he didn't hit the home run. That's going to happen. Like I said, it's that as you pointed out, we saw Travis Homer get in there for 245, 245 and a touchdown through the air. Saw DJ Dallas get two for 13. Kenneth Walker only gets one target. He caught it, but only getting one target compared to what we saw last time they took the field, which was two weeks ago, I believe. Last time they took the field, he was clearly, well, for that one game was clearly the three down, passing down type of back. If we lose that, I think you almost have to just de facto dock him back down to like the RB 9, 10, 11 range. Still an elite runner and still an offense that can put up points. But the guys who play on all three downs, the guys who occupy the top five. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And Travis Homer here gets three targets, two for 45 and a score. And then DJ Dallas getting two targets, two for 13. It's it's one thing if like Homer's mixing in, but if both guys are seeing targets, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a pretty big red flag. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely important to note that. Let's talk about DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Metcalf had 15 targets in this game. I did go to overtime, so you know that, that may have impacted that. But 
uh, 11 for 90 uh, through the air, and then Tyler Lockett, 3 for 68 on seven targets. He scores the the touchdown here among the two. Yeah, I think uh, the overtime doesn't – I don't think it affected DK Metcalf at all because I know for – pulled up right now, he wasn't even targeted. So for him, at least, for his stat line, it didn't matter. There was an overtime game. And sort of the same thing that we get with uh, – that we get Devontae where, like, Obviously, I'd prefer him to have a, a massive game, but the only times I'd ever be concerned would not even be one game with not a lot of volume, but it would be a prolonged stretch of not seeing the ball a ton. And that's obviously not the case here with 15 targets, which was good for well north of like a 40% target share. I think Metcalf has kind of clearly established himself as the top receiver on this team over Tyler Lockett. On the flip side, Tyler Lockett, I believe, scored now in four straight games. Uh, so... I expect that to even out, right? But I also think the coverage of DK Metcalf that he draws probably also helps Tyler Lockett. So it makes sense that maybe you could argue that's why he's having good touchdown luck, if you want to call it that, obviously. I'm still going to be ranking DK Metcalf clearly ahead. Like 15 targets, 15 targets. I'm ranking him ahead. Yeah, (laughs) I'm with you there. Uh, All right, let's move to the uh, Chiefs who defeated the Rams uh, 26 to 10. This is a Bryce Perkins-led Rams team, so I feel like, you know, <laughs> do we have to talk about them? I don't even know if we really it, need to say anything. It would make my night to not have to talk about this team. I, I mean, <laughs> we saw them, Allen Robinson now done for the year. We saw that just after the game it came up. I'm thinking, you know, there's been mixed reports, but I would be a bit surprised if Stafford comes back. Their season's about, I mean, their season's over. They're 3-8. and eight. It's clearly over, and it's not like they can even save face. This is going to be like an embarrassing stretch to finish the year. Same thing with Cooper Cup. Backfield was split. You know, Van Jefferson did nothing with seven targets. I would not start a single player on this team, and you could probably say that for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, I noted that um, Tyler Higby was like, you know, probably the number one option here, but I don't. He didn't even get targeted, and I know he came in questionable, but I believe he played in this game. So that's yeah, he was crazy. active. He was active, and uh, I didn't see if something happened to him early in the game because I actually had to pinch hit this game for Denny Carter, who had a the, like the power went out in his neighborhood or something. So maybe he got hurt early, and I didn't notice. But he was definitely active for this game, and I'd also think he could probably, assuming he was, uh, you know, not hurt or anything, put that on just having clearly your top option is someone you can take away because I think Tyler Higby was actually at least his ability to earn targets was more uh, prevalent than anyone else on this team sans Cooper Cup going down. So it's easy when you have just one player to take away, and it's also easy for your top option to not get targeted when you're on your third-string quarterback. So, yeah, had may, maybe he could have been the one player you could have argued that, like, oh, tight end's bad, play Tyler Higby. No, don't do that either. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, I will know for dynasty purposes, Kyron Williams – 11 rushes for 35 yards. Uh, Cam Akers had eight for 37. And Kyron Williams also had three targets going three for 25. Like when this team is doing something again, and they don't have a first round pick, by the way, because they traded that to the Lions for the Stafford deal. Um, I would hope they don't spend a day two pick on a running back, given that they have a bunch of holes to fill. So, you know, maybe Kyron Williams is someone that could be interesting next year when this is actually a team that has some value in the offense, but let's move on to the chiefs. Um, Patrick Mahomes here threw for 320 yards, one touchdown, one interception, not his best day, kind of a, uh, not a horrible day from Holmes, but kind of like a, not your typical chiefs game where they're winning by enough where they can actually kind of lean on the run, salt away the game. Isaiah Pacheco here had 22 carries for 69 yards and a touchdown. Um, You know, they're kind of leaning on him 
maybe even more than I thought they might. Like 22 carries is a lot for a seventh round rookie. Yeah, he ended the game with something like nine straight runs on their final drive. So, yeah, I can count them up here, but I'm seeing a lot of I dot Pacheco. So, yeah, it was nine straight runs to close out the game. Plus, on the drive before that, which started and ended in the red zone, got uh, runs on two of their four plays or two or three plays, actually. Fourth was a field goal. So, he was the entirety of their offense to close out the game. And, like, I, of course, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you, uh, I'll say for myself, had a bit of a financial interest in Mahomes doing well in this game. Maybe that caused my judgment. I would have liked to see them press a little more at the end of the game. But to be fair, they were playing the Bryce Perkins-led Cooper Cup list, Allen Robin list, every starting off lineman list Rams. Running the ball with Pacheco like on 12 of your final is probably fine. Yeah, I think it's I think it's totally fine. We did see Ronald Jones make his first appearance of the Happy season here. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty nice. Uh, and it, he wasn't like he didn't he wasn't disappearing until the end of the game when they just let Pacheco completely like his. It you would think if they really maybe I'm just coming up with stuff here, but you would think if they really didn't care too much about getting Ronald Jones involved, it would have been at the end of the game when it was clear the game was over. Like the, you know, Bryce Perkins was not going to lead a comeback, so. And it wasn't the case. He was mixing in early. Not a ton mixing in, but all four of his carries came before those final two Isaiah Pacheco drives. Not sure if that means anything of note or not, but I thought it was interesting that he wasn't like the clear garbage time back the way that the year started with Pacheco being the clear, like got all of his work in the fourth quarter. Something of note, not sure what you could really do with that information. Yeah, it seems bad, but at the same time, if he got all the garbage time work, we'd probably say that was bad. Also seems bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe getting more work early in the game would would be the only good thing, and he didn't really. So, but hey, he did have a 22 yard reception. I'm assuming he probably ran like one route in this game, so 22 yards per route run. Yeah. Ronald Jones uh, probably leads the league. <laughs> <laughs> Travis Kelsey here had four receptions for 57 yards and a touchdown on eight targets. So pretty decent day for Kelsey in a you know game where there wasn't a ton of receiving value because it was kind of spread out. Marcus Valdez Scantling was the second leading receiver with 456 on five targets. He had a near longer reception that I believe was uh, he was called out of bounds or it was overturned, right? It might have been earlier. It was, it was that he dropped it. That's what it was, is that he um, – it was one of those plays. It was like upon further discussion, we decided that he actually did not haul in the pass, and it was very clear that he had he, – he did not. Um, but, you know, MVS doing MVS things. I was going to say, that checks out. It sounds like him. Yeah, the thing to note here is that Juju Smith-Schuster coming back from the concussion, he went three for 28 on three targets, but he wasn't out there for like a full allotment of routes. Sky Moore mixed in, seeing six targets, going five for 36. Uh, He had a a long gainer called back due to a Justin Watson penalty, um, which is a little frustrating if you have a a lot of Sky Moore in best ball. (laughs) Um, <laughs> you're sky. You're not saving anything with a uh, you know. I have some good sky. teams with Sky Moore on them. <laughs> I would because you know you know why? Because I have Sky Moore on a lot of teams. <laughs> I got a lot of bad teams with Sky Moore. I got a lot of good teams with Sky Moore. I, uh, exactly I'm with right. you there. I'm with you there. And you point out something that's interesting. Again, it might be nothing, but uh, you know, Juju coming back from. He, I mean, he got rocked helmet to helmet head a few weeks ago versus the Jags. Got in full practices the whole time this week, I believe. Though they probably didn't practice something. So, essentially got in full practice throughout the week, but clearly did not come back to the role that he started the year up until the Jags game that he had throughout the year, which is like 80 plus percent route rate week in, week out. 
I do imagine that that was just a symptom of, of him coming back from a pretty egregious concussion, frankly. I think he would come back to that normal role because the alternative is Justin Watson, who is a fringe practice squad player, or Sky Moore, who they have disdain for this I have to imagine that's a blip on the radar. And in terms of like a close call, he's talked about the MVS, the sky more. This team got in the red zone for four field goals and an interception and a Checo touchdown. None of their six red zone, red zone trips converted into Patrick Holmes touchdowns. I'm not upset. Fine. <laughs> yeah, that is a bit brutal. Uh, and I, I completely agree. I think that they're probably working him back in. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't, view this as like if if he had been healthy and we see this we're going oh oh man they're moving on from juju you know but i don't think that uh i think we're probably going to see juju's role increase in the yeah before the concussion he was playing his best ball like it wasn't like before the concussion they were finding reasons to bench him he was at his best actually in the few weeks leading up to that it was the slow start to the season that if his routes you know scaled back you'd be like the experiment's over but i agree i think his the way he played uh the final few games before he got hurt merits him playing over Justin Watson or something going forward, MVSO you know, going forward. Yep. All right, Kyle Dvorak, thanks. Thank you. The Dolphins defeated the Texans 30-15. to And Rivers McCown, the Dolphins pulled to a Tagovailoa pretty early from this game, but then the Texans came roaring back. Oh, yeah. They just came roaring back. It was uh, a miracle. Yeah. Allen checked down. Many, many times in route to uh, two touchdowns and two failed extra point attempts. Yeah. What a game. Just <laughs> breathtaking. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's talk. The, let's get the Texans out of the way here first. Um, they they threw a pick six in this game, I believe, or they had a – it was a turnover that went for six. I believe it was pick six. Um, fumble six. We had – fumble six. Okay. So fumble six. And – Brandon Cooks had five for 59 on five targets. Nico Collins had six for 44 on, sorry, uh, Brandon Cooks, five for 59 on five. Nico Collins, six for 44 on nine. Jordan Aikens, the leading receiver here, five receptions, 61 yards and a touchdown on five targets. And he, I believe, had the fumble that went for the return six. Yeah. Uh, after the game, Brandon Cooks was asked uh, when he knew the Texans were matched. And he said, uh, from the moment we came out, I'm talking from an offensive standpoint. The moment we stepped out there, that's truth. That's facts. So fantasy-wise, wasn't great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Cooks Cooks hauled in a 39-yarder. It was Kyle Allen's deepest day. Kind of beat somebody on the sideline. But other than that, he did almost nothing. Uh, The Texans were kind of reduced to just, like, spreading everybody out with – wide and having either Aikens or Nico Collins pick up a slant to, to go here or there and maybe maybe a flat route or something or like a stop against zone. Other than that, just, just very basic offense. If you look at the uh, Kyle Allen passing chart for this game, it looks like they've erected a picket fence around like five yards past scrimmage. Yeah, it's pretty rough um, for Damian Pierce, who now has eight rushing yards in each of his last two games i mean this is a guy who's looking like you know an emerging fantasy star uh just been completely shut down over the last two weeks yeah 15 carries for 16 yards over the past two weeks uh not what you want to see out of your starting running backs in fantasy football as it turns out um no look by any means poor in this game 
he just, you know, didn't really go anywhere when he got the ball. Uh, he would break a tackle and then still have space, and then the Texans would quickly, uh, you know, were quickly down 10 nothing, and saw the game start kind of slip away from them, which is why Pierce still was the team in targets of six. So, I mean, he's, he's still involved, but, I mean, when the, te- when the team is as bad as it is, his floor just continues to look more and more ugly. On the Dolphins' side, uh, again, kind of a weird game because they pulled two a pretty early. Um, yeah, I was joking. The Texans didn't exactly come storing back, but it did seem like they maybe pulled him a little earlier than maybe was prudent. Uh, well, it certainly wasn't ideal for fantasy managers that he was pulled as early as he was. Scarlett Thompson only had uh, five attempts in this game, but uh, Tua totals 299 yards and a touchdown on 36 attempts. Um, Jeff Wilson, I believe, was in and out of this game with some kind of injury. Tell me about that. Uh, sure. Well, first, uh, Tua. Um, Tua took four sacks this game. Um, the Dolphins lost Tron Armstead to a pectoral injury uh, toward the end of the uh, two-minute drill of the second uh, quarter. Austin Jackson, who's their starting right tackle, who finally came back this week, also went down with an angle injury. So I think the, the decision to uh, pull him was kind of also dictating to them the score, but also uh, the amount of sacks that he had taken, including one where he kind of bent over oh. awkwardly and, and also not having buffered their tackles. So that, uh, that did not help. Um, Wilson, yeah, you're right. He did leave. It looked like he was grabbing his calf when he walked up. I'm not sure if it was cramping or if it was just something minor calf injury but uh, he came sprinting back on the field in the fourth quarter looked you know as fine as anybody looked in this game really uh the Dolphins went in for 66 yards on 26 carries so it wasn't like they were grinding clock out but Wilson looked fine uh and then Tyree Kill six for 85 on nine targets Jalen Waddle five for 85 on 10 targets very concentrated offense not the biggest day as we as we mentioned it could have been bigger if they kept uh, the, the pedal to the floor, but uh, that's that's an interesting, interesting note that there's probably to protect Tua given other injuries they'd suffered. Uh, any thoughts on uh, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, any of the other receivers here? Uh, Waddle dropped a couple of balls in this game. He, he was only five, he got five receptions on 10 targets. Uh, one of them was kind of a deep ball by Skylar Thompson, another one was just like a slant pass. Uh, the two are through early in the game. So, like, he actually said after he got he, like, he uh, left money on the table. So, give you a sense of, like, you can go 585 and still feel like he did run well. I mean, that's the way <laughs> the Sovereign's been playing, and that's what Waddle feels about himself. So, uh, probably probably a decent bounce-back spot for him next week. All right. Rivers McCown. Thanks. The Browns defeated the Buccaneers 23-17 to in overtime. I covered this game, and it was just kind of a struggle for the Buccaneers uh, for a lot of the game in terms of just, like, consistency. It wasn't like Brady looked completely out of sorts in this game. He had some nice throws, but he also overthrew, uh, particularly Mike Evans, a number of times and, like, kind of, like, long overthrows. Like, not, like, like almost like he was throwing it away um, or he wasn't, like, confident that he could he could get the ball accurately downfield and just like like kind of decided to err on the side of of just throwing it way too far um and there were you know a couple times where things could have gone differently for the buccaneers um 
one that really jumps out is in overtime, they converted a key third down to, to maintain possession, to keep possession. Um, and they, it was actually a nice play by Brady where he kind of escaped pressure and just sort of tossed it to Rashad White, who uh, was running kind of like a little uh, slant in route thing. Uh, and he was able to make the catch, pick up the, the six or so yardage needed for a first down, but it was called back due to an illegal hands to the face penalty, I believe. Uh, and that ended up leading to a punt, and then the Browns ended up winning the game. For the Browns, the, the story here was Nick Chubb for them. I mean, Chubb was really bottled up for most of the game, but then he ripped off a 28-yard run, which got them in scoring position late in the game. They were able to then go up, uh, or rather tie the score 17-all with a David Njoku touchdown catch that was beautiful. One-handed grab back of the end zone. Really nice catch by David Njoku there. And that uh, allowed them to take it to overtime. Right before overtime, there was 32 seconds left when the Buccaneers got the ball back. And they were like really, it was very poor clock management, very odd clock management. Not the type of thing you would expect to see from a Tom Brady team where they kind of just checked it down to Rashad White on the first play, they had timeouts that they didn't use. They let a bunch of time come off the clock and then they, they hit a pass downfield. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well we could maybe go for a game winning field goal if we had more time, but they hadn't used their timeout. It really made no sense. Um, kind of just gave away an opportunity to, to try to win the game and we're kind of playing for overtime and they didn't really need to. Uh, so that was, that was definitely Pretty strange, but obviously, you know, it would have been a low percentage chance that they get a field goal out of that. But just sort of like it didn't feel like the Buccaneers were really clicking throughout a lot of this game. Uh, just to close out the Buccaneers side of this uh, before I I'll talk about the rest of the Browns. But um, Chris Godwin led the team with 13 targets. Uh, he had 12 for 110 and a touchdown. His touchdown was the first score of the game. And it was a nice play where he was hit kind of over the middle, spins into uh, the end zone, and you know he and Brady, he and Brady did have a good connection in this game. Julio Jones had four targets, going three for forty. Looked fine. Um, I you know I was expecting maybe that Jones being back, not that he would have a huge game, but might kind of help the offense open up because he was he was replacing routes from Scotty Miller. So even though Jones is not in his prime anymore, it's still like a, a decent upgrade was was the promise and. You know, like I said, the the offense here just not quite clicking. Mike Evans, two for 31 on nine targets. Uh, Co-Keefed, rookie tight end, caught a touchdown, the second touchdown for the Buccaneers. That was uh, when he was lined up as a fullback. And uh, Rashad White kind of came up, blocked the a, a blitzing defender or, or rusher, and... Um, and Co'Keefe kind of wide open. So it was a nice play design. And uh, White picked up the block. And, yeah, they kind of hit him sort of a fullback uh, pass play. Um, you know, I don't, he doesn't have any fancy value. And he's not a tight end. He's Even though he's listed as a tight end, he his, his touchdown was scored as a fullback. So I wouldn't even worry about him in tight end premium leagues. Nothing to see here. Rashad White, though, you know, he won't get this much work once Leonard Fournette is back, obviously. But I think he he looked good. Like he he didn't look great. There was 
Uh, he had a 35-yard run. That was his longest run of the game. But it's just like really, really well blocked. And he honestly is like, you know, the long speed for White is not a strength. You know, if he was like, you know, Kenneth Walker or something or Brees Hall, he, you know, it's the type of hole where, you know, maybe 35 could have been 70 or something like that. But um, not that he's slow, slow, but it's just like, yeah, it's, it, he's not super, super fast. However, he kind of knows where to be in the passing game. I think he's got a good feel for what Brady wants for him. I, I noticed that, you know, he was pass blocking well. I think they trusted him out there. Keyshawn Vaughn was coming in, uh, but not like for specific types of plays. Like he'd come in kind of randomly. Um, at one point, I, I noticed he came in on a second down and then stayed through third and then left and then Rashad White's back out. You know, key key fourth downs and stuff, White would be out there. There wasn't any kind of goal line role that White was losing out on. He was just like very clearly the lead back. And that does make me think that, you know, projecting him to be the 1A to Fournette's 1B wouldn't be crazy. I, there's been, you know, Greg Allman's talked about how he thinks that White will probably still be the starter once Fournette is back. There's nothing in this game that would lead me to think otherwise. So we'll obviously have to pay attention to reports and everything. But, um, you know, from a like a consolidating usage perspective, I think it was a pretty strong game from Rashad White. On the Brown side, you know, I mentioned Nick Chubb kind of came alive, had that long run that got them in scoring position. David Njoka punched in the touchdown. But then in overtime, uh, Nick Chubb, I mean, it was pretty wild. Nick Chubb, they were down in scoring position. And it's like the Buccaneers have already had a possession, so they just need to kick a field goal. They're, you know, three yards out from the goal line. And or they're at the two, I think. They hand it off to Chubb. He loses a yard. They hand it off to Chubb again, and he just powered his way into the end. I mean, would not go down and gets the score that seals the game so they don't have to kick the field goal. Very, very impressive from Chubb, putting the team on his back. So he kind of literally wins the game for them in that way. And, you know, if Nick Chubb doesn't have uh, some nice runs in this game, they really wouldn't have had a chance at all. 26 rushes, 116 yards, and a touchdown for Chubb. Anthony Schwartz had a rushing touchdown, uh, kind of a design play uh, for 31 yards. He showed some nice burst on that run. Uh, but, you know, he, he's kind of a gadget player for them. Uh, wouldn't not Really no, nothing fantasy relevant there. And... Amari Cooper is the other big guy to uh, to talk about here. He had a horrible drop in this game, like a like a horrible drop, where he uh, it was one of those plays where, first of all, it was a fourth down. It was like a fourth and nine with about eight minutes and twenty seconds left in the fourth quarter. A key key fourth down for the Browns, down seven, and he is breaking back toward the ball, but he's breaking back like for a while. It's not like he had just turned around and the ball's on him or something. Like he was coming back toward the ball. The ball was thrown very on target, hits Amari Cooper directly in his chest in like the middle of his chest. And he just like didn't get his hands on it. It was kind of crazy. He had his hands kind of underneath the ball and just never sort of, like secured it and uh, just bounced off his chest. So it was like a, like a truly brutal drop given the situation and everything. Um, you know, just a real head scratching type of play. Then there was sort of a blown coverage at the end of the game. 
and Cooper was the one who was able to get them down to the two. So, you know, feel good for him in the sense he's kind of kind of redeemed himself. Not that he made like an incredible play on that play, but you know, he does he's the one who gets them down in a scoring position in overtime, and then Nick Chubb seals it. So uh you know, made up for it a little bit, but still kind of a crazy draw. I would actually recommend going to check it out if you haven't seen it. The uh the other thing to note here, unfortunately for the Buccaneers, is that Tristan Wirfs uh he suffered a it seems like a major injury. I haven't gone back and looked for video of it. I'm sure you can find it if you want to. It was described as the broadcast team uh, as gruesome, and they did not show the replay again. A defender landed on his leg, and the way they were describing it, the defender was, had leaped into the air. His full weight came down on Tristan Worf's leg. Uh, sounds like the type of thing that could be a season ending type of injury. We'll obviously need to, to hear more reports, but, um, but definitely concerning for Tristan Wirfs and the Buccaneers offensive line. I mean, losing him would, would be a major, major blow. So uh, that's definitely something to keep in mind, something to keep in mind for every single Buccaneer going forward, but that'll do it for the Buccaneers and the Browns. The Jaguars defeated the Ravens 28 to 27 in a game where Doug Peterson went for two instead of going for one to get the win in regulation. I'm pinch hitting for Denny Carter uh, for this game, who uh, had the power go out on him tonight. Um, So in this game, first of all, for the Ravens, just kind of a struggle uh, offensively and not really getting anything going consistently in the passing game. Lamar Jackson had 254 yards and a touchdown. Uh, And, you know, I think a little concerning that they weren't more productive through the air in this game because the Jaguars secondary, I think is very beatable. So this was definitely, definitely the type of game that makes you worried about the ceiling for this passing offense. If they can't do it in this really good spot, you know, are they ever going to be able to, to have the big spike weeks that we were expecting from Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, et cetera. You know, and speaking of Mark Andrews, he wasn't even the leading tight end here. Josh Oliver had four for 76 and a touchdown. Uh, I checked out Denny's blurb on Josh Oliver, and he was talking about this being a revenge game for Josh Oliver, which it is. Uh, I believe drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars, spent spent a lot of time there uh, early in his career. And so, sure, you know, get Josh Oliver as a revenge game. But, yeah, four for 76 and touchdown for him. And, yeah, Mark Andrews, just not – not as much production as we'd be hoping. Now, Isaiah likely was out for this game, which is why Josh Oliver was even playing. The other thing about, uh, you know, the kind of the unpredictable nature of this passing game is that Deshaun Jackson was the leading wide receiver here. Uh, now, I, I was kind of wondering if Jackson might have a, an okay game because, uh, you know, they seemed to be interested in getting him the ball when he was briefly on the field previously. But he's like the only wide receiver who really did anything. Two for 74 on three targets. Devin Duvernay, he had three for 23 on five targets. Demarcus Robinson, just one for 17 on four targets. So not a lot of passing volume here. And it went to guys that no one would be using. So, uh, you know, if you happen to stack the Ravens in DFS, as as I did, actually, uh, it was a tough day. Lamar Jackson did rush 14 times for 89 yards. He was the leading rusher here. Um, the backfield also just kind of a mess. Gus Edwards got in the end zone here, which 
allowed him to have a productive fantasy day. Uh, 16 rushes for 52 yards. So, you know, if you're going to trust anybody here, it is Gus Edwards. Kenyon Drake will kind of be phased out. Two rushes for him, two yards. Justice Hill just one for three. Uh, so for as long as J.K. Dobbins is out, it does look like maybe it's going to be Gus Edwards. Um, on the Jaguars side, we had an injury here for Travis Etienne. He told reporters after the game that he's good. Uh, so it looks like, you know, maybe it's not going to be anything major. I believe he's also seen uh, on the sidelines with his helmet on after going to the locker room. So I think all in all, like the signs that we had, he never came back in the game. So, you know, it, it could be something serious, but ETN seems to think he's fine. You know, this sort of signaling, like maybe he was available to come back in the game if they had wanted him to. And, uh, you know, hopefully this isn't the type of thing that's a long-term absence, even if he does miss a game or something. Uh, ETN, though, only had two rushes for three yards. Uh, Jermichael Hasty had 12 for 28. And Jermichael Hasty also caught a touchdown. He had five for 67 on five targets with that touchdown. A little tilting if you happen to have Travis ETN as the bring back on, on your Raven stacks, as I did. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's... That's a little tough to see for ETN, but Jermichael Hasty, you know, it's nice to know that he has that kind of receiving value if he were to replace Travis ETN for a game or so, um, or, or perhaps longer. Uh, so Jermichael Hasty, definitely someone to be thinking about for the waiver wire, depending on what we, what we hear from Travis ETN. Snoop Connor was active in this game. He had three rushes for 11 yards uh, in the receiving game. Zay Jones led the way, 11 receptions, 145 yards on 14 targets. He's really the underneath guy here for Trevor Lawrence, peppering him with targets in this game. Um, Not the best game for Christian Kirk, nine targets, but only four for 46. And Marvin Jones only had three targets going three for 22, but he does score a touchdown. It's a touchdown that they had to look at for a while. It was unclear. Uh, if he was actually in bounds, but I believe it was his shin that they said got down in bounds and, and that uh, allowed the touchdown to stand. So, you know, not that Marvin Jones is particularly fantasy relevant, but it uh, seems like, you know, Zay Jones and Christian Kirk, though, maybe there's a discussion about is there really like a clear cut number one or, you know, is this kind of like a receiver by committee? Um, because neither one of Zay Jones or Christian Kirk really sees a ton of volume. Now, this was. A lot of volume for Zay Jones, but it was not typical. So uh, making it hard to to trust Kirk going forward, at least, you know, definitely a little less trustworthy than we were hoping. But that'll do it for the Jaguars and the Ravens. Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football, on the PGA Tour, and in the World Cup. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the Colts and the Cowboys in our Sunday Night 7 contest. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. 
Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The Commanders defeated the Falcons 19-13, to and Mark Garcia, Brian Robinson came alive here, 18 carries for 105 yards and two receptions for 20 yards and a touchdown in this game. Yeah, and he, uh, he kind of had – his longest run went for 21 yards, so he kind of just had a consistent game on those 18 carries. Um, obviously broke 100 yards um, for just the second time in his short career here. But, um, yeah, it was interesting to see him involved in the pass game. Typically, Antonio Gibson is kind of their guy um, through the air in obvious pass situations. But um, the the touchdown reception came in the red zone. So Brian Robinson was just on the field, broken play, and cut, got free and, and ended up punching it in. Yeah, kind of, kind of interesting to see him involved in the passing game for sure. And then not else a lot going on in the passing game. Uh, four for 48 from Terry McLaurin. Uh, John Bates had three for 24 on four targets. McLaurin led the team with just six targets. Taylor Heineke only had 23 attempts, only 138 passing yards. So I, this offense was just kind of trying to trying to pound the rock or what was going on? This game environment, I would say, both teams were very committed to the run. There were only 48 combined pass attempts. There were 343 combined rush yards between the two teams. So both of these teams were, were struggling to – um, get really it was more so they just didn't want to I Play guess football. lean towards the yeah I guess <laughs> lean lean towards the, like, yeah like how do you even say that um, <laughs> they they were very much just biased towards the ground we know kind of Atlanta that's kind of been their calling card but um, <laughs> the the commanders here just kind of shoved their own game plan right back in their face um, that led to numerous um, stalled drives that led to um, there were there were mistakes on each side. There were missed field goals, the late um, interceptions from each team, one at the end of the first half, one at the end of the second half, uh, obviously to ice the game there for Atlanta, um, which we'll talk about here shortly. But yeah, it was it was a very um, benign game plan from each team. And um, basically, we're trying to minimize mistakes and, and eke out a win here. Yeah, so the Falcons did not uh, minimize all the mistakes because Marcus Mariota threw for an, inter- for an interception. Uh, when did that happen? Yeah, dude. So that was on the final, basically the final play of the game. Um, the, mm. That iced the game. Uh, I, th- I believe it came from the three yard line. Uh, they were they were marching down by six, trying to punch it in and and steal this game away from the Commanders, and um, came up with a big interception in the end zone to end the game. Basically, it's pretty rough. And was that on Mariota? Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty much on Mariota. It felt like he was trying to make something happen there at the end of the game, trying to play hero and uh, try to force into basically um, a disguised dual coverage um, with two safeties kind of playing um, 
split in the end zone and one just hopped in front and, and picked him off there. So Drake London is in this game, you know, obviously Kyle Pitts is out. So we would imagine, okay, targets at least are going to funnel to Drake London. Not really. He had four targets here. Olamide Zacchaeus had eight going five for 91. London had just two for 29. Cordero Patterson had five targets, one more than London going three for 19. So, you know, not, not the target hog we would hope for. And obviously, you know, no one's going to be getting a, a ton of targets in this offense, but if you can't even get a high target share on Atlanta, you know, what good are you? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of been the, the, the case of the season for Drake London. Um, he, he came into the game with, you know, a top five targets per route run race. So he kind of is the guy on this offense. Um, I really didn't see anything from, uh, the commanders that would have indicated additional coverage, or it just kind of seemed like the ball just didn't go his way. Um, it seemed like he was still the first read on multiple um, Marcus Mariota dropbacks. It just, he was, he just ended up not seeing the ball. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously there had to be something going on because Olamide Zacchaeus who, uh, or Olamide Zacchaeus um, ended up seeing eight targets, put up five catches for 91 large yards, like you said, um, but it, it really, to me, it didn't indicate like any shift of coverage or anything like that from the commanders. It was just kind of a, a case of that's kind of where the ball bounced today. What did you notice out of their backfield? It was um, continued to be an even split, um, or I guess we've seen almost up to even a three-way split between Tyler Algier and, and Cordero Patterson and Caleb Huntley. Um, today it was Caleb Huntley and uh, Cordero Patterson. Patterson maintained his involvement in the pass game. Patterson actually got stuffed um, on a couple of key third downs um, that led to, you know, that could have extended drives. Um, So Patterson was still the guy. He was still the guy to see the third down usage, the pass game role, the obvious pass situations. Um, But again, it was it. We've seen since CPAC came back from his injury that this team does not want to ride him heavily. They're going to mix in Tyler Aljair. They're going to mix in Caleb Huntley. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mark Garcia, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. The 49ers shut out the New Orleans Saints 13-0. to zero. And Zach Kruger, uh, let's start with the 49ers here who had an unfortunate injury to Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, an unfortunate injury to Elijah Mitchell. He was actually getting off to a pretty good start in the game for the 49ers. He finished the day um, with seven carries for 35 yards on the afternoon. He exited early in the third quarter, reportedly. Um, I, I hadn't noticed the injury, actually, during during the game. They, they mentioned on a sideline report that he was questionable to return, saying that when he emerged back from the tent, teammates were surrounding him and encouraging him and things of that nature, which kind of led me to believe he was probably going to be ruled out for the game. Sure enough, a few minutes later into the third quarter, he was. Um, after the game, Kyle Shanahan said it's possible that uh, Mitchell re-sprained his MCL. I believe this is the same MCL that would have uh, kept him out earlier in the season, so so not a really good uh, diagnosis for him just off the you know right off right off the game and, and off the field. But we'll we'll certainly know more about that later on. But Mitchell forced from the game in this one, um, which gave way then to Jordan Mason to see a few carries. He ended the day with five carries for twenty five yards, um, and then Christian McCaffrey himself eleven carries for thirty two yards on the day, no touchdowns 
in this one. And McCaffrey was also another player who was mentioned once again by the sideline as a player who was possibly dealing with some uh, knee irritation uh, to his left knee. It appeared they had mentioned during the broadcast that they put some kind of new brace or contraption on his knee to better help manage whatever it was he was dealing with. McCaffrey was not really forced from the game. He, he, He finished out the entirety of it. But I think Jordan Mason at the best is a speculative ad as we approach waiver wires heading into week 13. He was the only other active running back in the 49ers backfield alongside Mitchell and McCaffrey. I wouldn't be surprised if Mitchell missed at least one or two games, if not more. I'm sure we'll know more on that in the next couple of days. And then CMC appears to be dealing with something. What that something is, we just don't know. But I think Jordan Mason is a speculative stash on waiver wires unless we learn more before um, waivers pop up on Wednesday. Yeah, for sure. I think he sounds like probably just a contingent type of guy, um, maybe taking on some of the, the Eli Mitchell work, but uh, yeah, could be more than that. So, yeah, that's a good shout. Uh, let's talk about Brandon Ayuk and the receivers here. Now, Debo Samuel, I saw him down on the field at one point. He came in questionable, I believe, with a hamstring. So uh, what was going on with Debo and the rest of these receivers? Debo exited and then came back. It was it was a good sign. It wasn't something that we had to really monitor too closely outside of when he was down the field. It appeared that it was probably just cramps, which is what some people were suggesting on Twitter afterwards. He came back in. I don't think he missed a drive for the 49ers. He played out the rest of the game. So so Debo appears to be good on all fronts, barring any unexpected report that would emerge after the game concluded. Um, he did not have a big day. We, we can certainly touch on that a little bit. Debo Samuel continues to to kind of underwhelm in the receiving department. Uh, his, his biggest play came on a 20-yard reception on the 49ers' first drive. He was limited to just three catches on seven targets for 43 total yards on the day. He's now gone for 60 yards or fewer in three of his last four games. We know that he's also not been a factor in the running game this year, which has really made Debo kind of a disappointing play. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, we had a lot of, you know, at large round two draft capital baked into him heading into the season. And he's he's definitely not returned that. I think from the standpoint of the fact that he's the the playmaker that we still know and love and he's capable of going off for a big week at any given moment, he's certainly always going to be in that high end wide receiver two conversation. But Debo has not done very well in the recent weeks from a fantasy perspective. Certainly uh, the more run heavy approach with CMC and Elijah Mitchell has, has kind of put a cap on his ceiling a little bit, but then Brandon Ayuk, he had a solid day in this one. He he actually kind of amassed the majority of his yards on a single drive uh, on their fourth possession. They came in, he caught two passes for 47 yards, finished the day with five catches for 65 yards. Um, and, and as Debo trends down, Ayuk trends up. He's now gone for 60 or more receiving yards in four of his last five games while averaging 7.2 targets per game. I think that he and Garoppolo have kind of developed a nice little rapport with one another over the last couple of weeks and a couple of occasions. We would see Garoppolo roll out to his right-hand side, find at right-hand side, find Ayuk on a check down pass. And, and then Ayuk, you know, another cable playmaker in this offense would turn the ball upfield for a significant gain. So Debo's trending down. Ayuk, I think, is trending up. He's also kind of in the wide receiver two conversation right now. Uh, although it, it would certainly be Samuel who's going to be the one that's still capable of giving you that really big week on any given week. George Kittle didn't have the biggest game here. Three for 26 on four targets after a nice game last week. Uh, any thoughts on him? Uh, he only saw four targets in this one, so I, th- I think it was just one of those games where where the Saint, where the uh, sorry not the Saints the 49ers were running it at a pretty good rate. 
um, heading into this one uh, early on, just trying to find a way to to get the offense going, both CMC and Elijah Mitchell seeing work early, which I just think kind of led to a, an underwhelming day for George Kittle. But then also it's worth noting that Jawan Jennings definitely produced in this one. Uh, Jawan Jennings probably not worth considering from a fantasy perspective, given that last week he had a zero yard performance on two targets, but Jennings did surprise in this one, catching six or seven balls for 49 yards and a touchdown. He actually caught four passes on the one drive that he ended up scoring on. So he, he really kind of got in all his significant work on a single drive, ended it with a touchdown and, and really looked like a nice wide receiver who I would definitely consider uh, rostering in leagues. If, if, if uh, Ayuk or Samuel would ever miss any time, Jennings has popped up once in a while for, for a couple of decent performances. And I think is more than capable of handling a bigger role if the wide receiver were to ever miss time for this team. On the Saints side, when you get shut out, there's usually going to be turnovers involved. No interceptions here, though, from Andy Dalton, but Alvin Kamara lost two fumbles. Yeah, Alvin Kamara lost two fumbles. The first one came in on, on their first possession. The second one was really kind of the dagger that I think more or less established the, the tone that had been set in this game already. It was in the fourth quarter. The Saints were finally in the red zone for their first time on the day. On the day. It was, uh, I believe it was first or second and goal from the six-yard line. Kamara caught a five-yard pass. That extra yard that he needed to get into the end zone, which he was fighting for, ended up resulting in a fumble that got punched out and recovered by the 49ers, who just continued to shut out opponents in the red zone. Uh, they, they had mentioned some crazy numbers just on, on the 49ers' recent efficiency in the red zone. I, I think it's something like the last like like game and a half, two games, the, the opponents have not scored in the red zone on the 49ers once they get down uh, in that in that high-value area as far as fantasy purposes go. And then, of course, real-life football just as important. But the 49ers were stout in this one throughout, uh, limiting the Saints to just two red zone possessions, which resulted in exactly zero points for the Saints, as the score indicates, in the 13-0 defeat. Uh, Camaro on 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 the ground, 13 yards total, 37 yards through the air on seven targets, and those two lost fumbles really just put a, a, a an otherwise ugly stamp on a day that just wasn't that productive for him. Chris Olave though leads the way at least, and, and kind of a you know this is a game you're going to throw out for the Saints, but at least Chris Olave, nine targets, five for 62, doesn't score. There were no scores, so you know <laughs> what are you going to do? But. Uh, I don't know, kind of just another sort of check mark here. You know, Chris Olave, again, the leading receiver. Better days ahead for the Saints offense. Hopefully, one would imagine Olave will lead the way in those games as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Nine targets. You know, he's he's definitely the alpha receiver at this point in time in the offense. A couple things worth noting for Olave. If you were on Twitter earlier, you probably heard about the the 30-ish yard reception that ended up being called back after a, a deep pass down the middle from Taysom Hill, who had one pass attempt on the day, it ended up being this incompletion that was originally ruled a catch by uh, the officials. It was then challenged and reviewed. It was determined that despite the fact that he appeared to have secured the ball, taken a handful of steps and was even looking to switch hands before going down that he in fact did not secure the catch in what was a rather highly controversial uh, play on the day, I would say. Um, that ended up negating a good portion of his yards. He could have had closer to 90 or 100 yards on the day if he had not had that call overturned. And then also late in the game when uh, the, 40, when the Saints were getting uh, down near the red zone, Olave did haul in a rather nice pass that ended up helping set it up their second red zone drive of the game, which ended on a fourth down and goal where uh, Andy Dalton, rather than move the ball forward, ate a seven-yard sack to end their final attempt at scoring a touchdown on the day. But Olave did help set up the drive to get them down in there in scoring position to perhaps do a little bit of damage late in the game. 
But like you said, it's, it's one of those things where we see what Olave did, five catches for 62 yards. We, we can see that he's still the clear-cut alpha in this offense. Jarvis Landry continues to be a non-factor um, as he's been for the last several weeks. And it's really kind of the Chris Olave show at this point in time, I would say. And, and the fact that he was still able to get five catches for 62 yards on a decent defense is, is, is still noteworthy and something that we should be considering going forward. All right. Zach Kruger, thank you. Thanks, Pat. Have a good one. All right, that'll do it for the Week 12 Recap Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Make sure to check out all the great content that we have for you on the podcast feed and on rotorworld.com. And we'll see you back here next week for the Week 13 Recap Podcast. See you then. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.